Hey everybody, good morning. I actually enjoyed, this center, I feel a little left here. Um, I actually enjoyed hearing everybody kind of talk right then. Uh, it was like our whole place just erupted and hey, how are you doing? So how are you doing? I hope you're well. Um, if you got a Bible, if you would turn to the book of Galatians, that's where we are. And if you don't have a paper Bible, there's one at the end of a row. If you'd like one of those, you can get on an app. We use uh, the English Standard Version that might help you follow along a little bit. Um, but we are in the book of Galatians. The way it rolls here is that we take books of the Bible and uh, we just allow those books to kind of dictate how we, how we plug through. So um, we have gone through four chapters of the book of Galatians and we find ourselves today in Galatians chapter 5. So we want to go through these books because we believe this is God's word, perfect in every way, given to us for life. And fewer precious words are found than this first verse that I'm going to read, and then I'll pray and we'll dive right in together. The overall direction today is understanding that we have been set free to love. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Is stated this way, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let me pray. Father, we stop in these moments. Because whether we know it or not, we are weak. I feel it personally, acutely. But I know that we all come in here at various levels of hope, various levels of strength, various levels of mental stability, various levels of emotional stability. Various levels of circumstances going well or circumstances going poorly. And this beautiful message cuts through all of our feelings to get to the core of our greatest needs that says, Christ, you have set people free by faith alone. Father, help it to rivet our hearts. Grip us in these moments. Humble us where we might be proud. Encourage us where we might be down. And use us as only you can, imperfect as we are, to shine your great fame brightly as long as you give us breath. Do a great work, I pray. Take your word and use it. In Christ's name, amen. Galatians chapter 5, we'll be going through verse 15 today, 1 through 15. But as we start plugging away, I have had some friends, some friends that have been uh, released from prison. Some of them have been guilty of the crimes that they uh, were serving time for and others were not. When you're set free from prison, especially if you've been in for a long time, my dear friends give testimony to the fact that there's some choices to make. That freedom opens up a lot of opportunities. For those who were guilty of the crimes that kind of got them in, 
they come out and there's kind of some choices to make. Well, I use this freedom as an opportunity to do what got me in there in the first place, or will I use this freedom as an opportunity to live differently? If you use it as an opportunity to do what got you there in the first place, it's free, but not really free. Sadly, many times the cycle gets repeated and people end up back in prison because they chose not to take advantage of that freedom. I had one friend who was in prison for 20 plus years for a crime that he did not commit. Can you imagine? Day by day, moment by moment, knowing that you are experiencing isolation and a sense of trapped feelings 20 years for something you did not do. And yet he is now set free. He is out. And as he is out, you can imagine there is a choice to be made with that freedom as well. Can you imagine what has taken place in 20 years? Cell phones used to be the size of cars. That's hyperbole. Now they're small and they fit in your pocket. I mean, flip phones would be tough for some of these individuals. And now they've got touch screens. I mean, computers. All kinds of things that have changed so much. What will you do? Will you use that as an opportunity for fear? You just stay holed up in a house? Say, I can't get out of this because I'm too afraid of what I will incur. That would be freedom without freedom. Or what about the fact that they could be gripped by bitterness? 20 years, and then they come out and they see all that they could have experienced only to be gripped by the bitterness and to use that opportunity of freedom just as a launch pad for just telling how bad everybody was that got me into this situation. Instead, I've looked at my dear friend who is out of prison, and he has used it only as an opportunity to tell of the goodness of Jesus and as an opportunity to love his neighbor as himself. Paul is speaking to us in these beautiful words that says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You are free, but will you live in that freedom? Will you live in that freedom or will you be captured by fear? Will you be gripped by bitterness? Or in the Galatian church, That freedom, which was justification by faith alone, nothing you could add to Jesus. You could only receive that free gift. Now you have been lured into thinking that you can add something to what Christ did. Will you then again submit yourself to a yoke of slavery? The enslaved soul is even more painful than the enslaved body. And so we come to Galatians 5.1 where we encounter these words. Christ has set us free for freedom. He set us free. There's not many sweeter words in all of the scriptures. In these few words, you have the fact that we are unable to set ourselves free. For Christ had to do what we could not. That's Paul's point. Christ sets you free. Your goodness couldn't set you free. Your social status couldn't set you free. You couldn't buy your way out of this. You couldn't get in with the right crowd and be approved in order that you might be set free. You couldn't set yourself free. 
Christ alone, he is enough. He is the only one that can set you free. In these few words, we have our inability, and in the previous chapters of the book of Galatians, you have the laws, the Mosaic laws inability to set you free. And so it is saying, yes, I couldn't, Jesus could. That's what Paul is saying with this very first verse. You couldn't, I couldn't, Christ could. That is our life mantra for everything we face. I couldn't. Jesus did it. It's the way I felt playing flag football yesterday. <laughs> you know, every year I get older and older. And I, I honestly can't remember now how many years we have played flag football. But let's just say, I don't know, nine, ten. Out of ten, I have been in the championship game. Eight of the ten. I have never won this stupid event, ever. I am reminded moment by moment that I can't do it. The Lord just wants to press that into my heart because obviously it needs some pressing. You can't make this happen. And to those who did win, who've won it multiple times, I love you and I am fighting not to be bitter at you. Not bitter at all. I'm glad. That was such a great event. Just good to be out with people. Day couldn't have been better. I mean, we had our fields cancel yesterday morning and we relocated it. I mean, it was just grace upon grace. And I thank Travis Williams and all of the referees, Sean Darty, little Sammy, <laughs> Scott Braswell, Matt Benson for refereeing. Thank you for everybody for coming out. It was a great event. But Paul says here, Christ has set you free. Because it's something you couldn't do for yourself. You couldn't make it happen. No matter how much practice, no matter how much energy or effort, you couldn't do it. You couldn't get yourself to God. God had to come to you. That is the gospel. You couldn't do it. And so with a view towards full and forever freedom, Jesus came and took on flesh and he set us free on the cross. He took every single one of the just charges against you. Hear it. We are all guilty. And he took every one of those charges. There's nothing you can say to get out of the fact that you and I are guilty. And every one of those nailed to the cross. And Jesus stood on there and took those nails through his hands and feet. And he took it on himself. And saying, by that and that alone, you are set free. Do you know what a Christian is? A Christian is one who is always repenting and always fighting to believe. When you stop believing you need to repent, you have abandoned the cross. The Christian is known characterized by the constant need for repentance. God, I've sinned against you. I need you. I've got to turn from that and faith. You're enough. You've done it all. I am justified by faith alone, not by my goodness. And the Galatian church, they begin to move away. 
They began to move away that Jesus was enough and Jesus alone was enough. And they began to think that I have to do something to work out my own freedom. Well is right. What do we do with that? Well, Christ set us free. He set us free from the penalty of sin. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. On that last day, you will stand forth fully justified, fully set free, and you will have no boast on that last day. But Jesus was my only hope. It's miraculous. It is God who justifies. Who is there to condemn you? Whatever failures you have had, Christ Jesus paid for them all in full. Take that, own that, wear that, so that you can be the one who says, sin is no longer my boss. I have been set free into Christ. You are set free not only from the penalty of sin, but you are set free into Jesus, which means he comes and lives inside of you. This is what justification does. Justification, it declares you not guilty, and you are set free into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Freedom from the penalty of sin and freedom from sin being your boss and you living on your own. Instead, Christ comes and lives inside of you so that now you're not only objectively set free, but he is setting you free day by day from the power of sin. And one day, on that last day, you will be fully set free and you will see him face to face in all of his glory and we will be shouting with freeness from the shackles of shame and guilt and sin. That's what we wait for. It's called the hope of righteousness. The hope on that day when we will fully be as we've been declared to be fully righteous before him. So, when Christ comes and lives inside of you, you are set free. You aren't bound into selfishness. You are not enslaved into harshness. You are not trapped by addiction. One more powerful than your desires resides inside of you. That is the freedom that Christ has set you free into. Man, how many times do we just walk around saying, no, I have to live this way. There's no way I'll overcome this. No, for freedom you've been set free. And his Holy Spirit comes and resides in you. One more powerful than your desires lives inside of you. And so now what does Paul say? Paul says, chapter, uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, Stand firm therefore in that freedom. Why does he say that? Because the Galatian church is experiencing gale force winds that have blown them off course and they have fallen down. Winds of false teaching, storms of pervasive speech and persuasive speech that have pulled people away from justification by faith alone. Stand in that freedom. Live in it. When I lived in Minneapolis for a little time, it was so deceptive. Negative 34 below windchill and it looks just like it did out here this is before the snow comes now once the snow comes you kind of get a sense that it's cold 
But when we were up there, they had less snow and colder temperatures. So it literally would look like this right here. And you'd be like, I want to go out there. And you would think, do I really need a jacket? Right? Okay. And so let's just step outside. It's really warm in here. Feels good in here, but that looks beautiful. That looks good. So let's run out in it. You can get frostbite in like seconds when you walk out. I mean, people are plugging their engine blocks into outlets to make sure that their engine block doesn't freeze up. You have to put in something called heat as a gas additive so your gas doesn't freeze. I mean, we're talking cold, but it looks so good. It's awful, is right? But we don't think it's awful. It looks good. So you go out in it and you freeze your end off. Stand firm in freedom. Stand in the warmth of the beauty of God's love for you. But we are so enticed. It looks so good. It looks so convincing. False teaching. False ways of living. Just makes you feel like you want to go out in it. Paul says, no, stand, stand, stay in the warmth of my love, stand. That's where freedom is. Don't let anything else tell you differently. Stand, stand firm, therefore. You know something? Very few things made Paul afraid. But Paul says he trembles over this. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I went to San Diego last week to be with a group of 80-plus pastors and their wives. We're part of the Treasuring Christ Together church planting network. And so about 30 churches represented all come together. And we gathered together in that moment. And it was just a beautiful time. But we had people giving us the word. And one guy preached from this text, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. And look at this. Paul. Just make sure you understand who Paul is. Paul threatened by the Roman government. He stood up to them when they were charging him and he defended himself. When they tried to let him go quietly, he said, no way. You've treated me unjustly. We're going to keep moving on. We're going to talk through this. Paul, who's been persecuted. Paul, who's experienced shipwrecks. Paul, who's gone through all of this. Not afraid. And yet he's afraid of this. What brings fear? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I am afraid, Paul says. That as the serpent deceived Eve, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm afraid. What's he afraid of? I'm afraid that you will not stand firm. I'm afraid that rather than being at true north, you will be one click off. And you will be deceived, maybe not necessarily initially by just going after a false teaching, but you will not be wholeheartedly going after Christ and you'll be deceived to thinking this is the right way. Just one click off. I don't need him every day. And you just get one click off. Paul is terrified of that deception. That Jesus is not enough all the time. He's terrified of it. And Paul is saying right here to a group of people who have been led astray. Do you realize he has no commendation for the church of Galatia? 
He does it in every other letter. I commend this in you. I commend this in you. I commend this in you. But the church in Galatia, he has no commendation for them. Because they have so shifted from true north, they have gone into left field. It might not seem that big of a deal to be one click off. But do you know that if when NASA was trying to send a rocket to the moon, if it was only one degree off course, after one mile it would only be 92 feet off. Not that big of a deal. But when you're headed to the moon, you miss the moon completely and you are 4,169 miles off course. One click. If that rocket were intended to go to the nearest star and yet was one degree off course, it would end up 441 billion miles off course. Paul is saying, stand firm that Christ is enough and his love is sufficient and you have nothing to add to the glories of the gospel and that you need him day by day and that that freedom is meant to work in you love and if you don't stand firm, you just slowly drift. Paul says, I'm terrified of that drift. And he admonishes us all, stand firm in that freedom and do not submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so, with the last little bit of time that we have, we have to answer the question that Paul is seeking to answer, and that is, how do we keep standing in freedom? How do we keep standing in freedom? One, we lean on Christ. Two, we stay alert for false teaching. And three, we walk in love. How do we keep living in the freedom in which Christ has set us free? It says, you've been set free for freedom. Now stand in it. Keep standing in it. That's the verb tense. Keep doing it over and over. How do we keep standing in freedom? Number one, we lean on Christ. Look at what he says here. This is chapter two, or chapter five, verses two through six. When I say lean on Christ, Paul says, look, <laughs> look, behold, study, think about it. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, that, that is the major issue of the Mosaic law that they were saying, I need to trust in Jesus but I also must do part of the law in order for God to be justified. And especially you who are not Jews, you have to come alongside. In order to be included in our church family, you have to add to justification by faith and you have to be circumcised. And so that's how you get in is by obeying the Mosaic law. That's how you're justified. He says, if you accept circumcision, Christ is of no advantage to you. You're basically disregarding him. I testify again to you that to every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the entire law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Do you see the language? Verse 1, stand firm. If you accept anything else, you have what? Fallen away. There's this falling down. There's this non-standing. And so his first admonition is, how do you stand in freedom? You lean on Christ and not yourself. 
He's basically saying, if you seek to try to live in your own strengths, then you don't get the freedom to say, I can do this one thing in my own strength. He's saying, no, you have to do the entire law in your own strength, and you've got to do it perfectly. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm not saying I want to do that. I, I got my lane. I can do this one thing really well in my own strength. And he's like, no, that's not how it rolls. If you're going to lean on you, you got to lean on you all, all the way. It's got to be all of you. You got to do the whole law, all 613 commands. That's all on you. If you're going to be justified by your efforts, by your kindness, by your goodness, then you got to do it all the way. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I signed up for. I signed up for doing the things I can do well. That's how it works for all of us. When you base your right standing with God on you doing good things, you pick the good things that you think will get you there. Because you know what you can do. You wouldn't pick the things that you can't do. And so, there's the Getting Connected class. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Getting Connected class will not justify you. I don't know if that's what I was supposed to say. So, Paul is saying this. If you choose one thing, that that is what you can do, and that's how, why God would accept you, you got to do it all. And nobody can do it all. You're severing yourself from Christ. And so he says, then, what is our hope? Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, ourselves, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So if we realize we can't do it all, we've got to lean on something else. We've got to lean on Christ, Jesus. He is enough. Over and over, he is enough. We've got to lean on that last day. That is what we wait for. There's no, there's few words that are kind of more hated than the word, just wait. <laughs> Just wait. I mean, and then there's, you know, there's degrees of just wait, right? Like, hey, you need to wait till dinner before you eat. I don't want you eating all this junk food, right? Let's wait till, you know, that feels like, you know, you like pulled a toenail out. I like, I get it. I understand to my kids, especially during this Halloween candy season, you know, can I just have this? Why don't we just wait till, wait, you know, it's like, that's a bad word. But there are other things where wait is even more painful. Like you're waiting for that call or that letter where you accepted to the college that you wanted to get into. Or you're waiting, did you get the job that you've interviewed for three times? Or you're waiting, did you make the team that you tried out for? Or you're waiting, I took that test and I don't know how I did. What, what's going to be the result? You just got to wait. Those kind of waiting, it creates anxiety. There's a sense of tension. There's a sense of anticipation. Now, now why, why does it bring all those emotions into the heart? Because you really want what you're waiting for, right? I really want a good grade. I really want a house I've been waiting for. I really want that job. I really want the acceptance into the college. I really want those things. 
Paul is saying the really want of the Christian heart, that want is for that last day. When you will be with Jesus in all of his splendor. And he will say over you, well done. I love you. Not because you were lovely, not because you did enough for me, but because you trusted my beauty. And in that moment, fully who he's already declared you to be, righteous, fully set free, fully at peace, unshackled from the power of sin, living in his presence, no more tears, no more suffering, no more death, the hope of righteousness. And Paul says, our hope for eternal life is not in our own strength. Our hope is in what Christ has already done, and he's the one that's going to get us there. That's where we're going to set all of our hope. Paul warns later in the book of First Timothy, he says, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. We can set our hope there, right? Don't set your hope on X relationship. Don't set your hope upon the approval of men. Don't set your hope upon those things. Set your hope upon his righteousness. That day when you'll be declared fully and free, forever free. Set your hope on that day. That's the waiting that he says that we eagerly wait for by the Spirit. And while we wait, he says, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. That'll be the last thing that we talk about. Faith working through love. But now, now you need to hear. You need to hear him say over you that he loves you. You need to hear him say over you that you are precious and that you have nothing to lean on but Christ alone. What else? What else must you do? As you sit there looking at this text, he says, How will we live in freedom? Verses 7 through 12. We stay alert for false teaching. Look at it. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross would have been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is Paul's sentiment towards false teaching. Towards those who would be spreading the division in the body. He is like, stay alert. They are persuasive. They have pulled you away. And this abounds for us today. What tempts people not to stand? It is false teaching. The Bible is irrelevant, some will say. It is archaic. It doesn't apply to today. Jesus isn't necessary for eternal life. All roads lead to the same place. 
They all lead to heaven. Or it's what's good for you is good for you. Don't place your views upon me. These are all the gospel of the day. And it is so infiltrating into the church. The great horrors that happened in Pittsburgh when with anti-Semitic intentions and racial hatred there was a gunman who comes in and shoots up a Jewish synagogue and kills 11 they had vigils and prayer times which it, they were all over the news talking about how it was so good to see multiple faiths and multiple groups coming out and expressing a unity and I think it is beautiful a unity that says we will stand together against racism We will stand together against anti-Semitism. We will stand together against any type of genocide, this kind of direction of killing people because they aren't like us or there's a different ethnicity. We will stand together against that. But it was really interesting what happened when at one prayer vigil, a Messianic Jewish rabbi prayed over the event. And he prayed in Jesus' name. And then all of a sudden, Other Jews rose up and called that insensitive, called that a travesty. It's okay for multiple faiths to come together, but when Jesus comes up, all of a sudden, it's as offensive as the gunman. So inconsistent. Even the Muslims will believe, many will, that if you don't believe according to them, you will spend an eternity in hell. But it was Jesus that was put on the chopping block. It was Jesus that was the one that was offensive. And it's okay to be very tolerant until you say that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And then all of a sudden, everybody's up in arms. We have to understand, Paul is saying a very radical thing. Christ is enough. And he alone, he alone can get people justified. And we have to be careful because Paul is stating what? You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's this sense that something really small kind of got into the church and it began to break it apart from the inside out. It's not like they come in and they're wearing like a false teacher t-shirt, right? Like, I'm false teacher man. You know, that's not how this rolls. Just subtle questions. Smooth talking. Listen to Romans chapter 16. The end of Romans chapter 16. Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons don't serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. But listen to how he describes them. Smooth talk. The ESV translates it as flattery, but the word is literally blessing. It doesn't come with negative connotations. The word is They are out seeking to, talking about being a blessing. They're trying to bless the Galatian church with that they need to 
adopt this circumcision, this enlightened way. It's with a smile on the face. It's with, it's with smoothness. It's with persuasiveness. They're not wearing a I'm a hater t-shirt. It's smooth. It's subtle. But it causes divisions. It creates obstacles. And it says, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And so church... As we have said all throughout the book of Galatians, we must personally own our own faith and not lean on anyone else. We must take responsible. The church of Galatia was responsible for holding on to justification by faith alone. They were responsible for smelling false teachers, hating division. They were responsible. And they needed to be cautious and careful. And Paul is saying later on, he was saying, you're, you're accusing me of not speaking truth about the gospel. But he's like, if, I'm, if you think I'm speaking what they're speaking, why am I still getting persecuted? And their life is getting easier. He's like, no, I'm not preaching what they're preaching. I'm preaching something differently. And my life is even bearing the marks of it. Bearing the marks of what love requires. And this leads us to the last piece. We must walk in love. We must walk in love. Stand therefore. How do we stand? How do we keep standing in freedom? We lean on Christ. How do we stand in freedom? We avoid false teaching. How do we stand in freedom? Paul says we walk in love. We walk in love. Paul summarizes the freedom into Christ as a freedom into love. Look at verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. It's church family. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Remember what we said at the beginning. Don't use the fact that you've been set free from prison as an opportunity to then spread a message of bitterness or live in fear in captivity. Use your freedom as an opportunity, it says here, for love. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The whole law, if you really want to do the law, it's fulfilled in one word. Love. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You might have heard it said something differently. If you play with fire, don't you expect to be burned? You should. If all of a sudden you've allowed something to come into your relationships where you're biting and devouring one another, then if you don't stop that, you will be consumed by it. And it will rip it apart. Paul says, no. Smell it out. Hate it. And as far as it depends on you, strive to live at peace with everyone. Don't allow things to rip you apart. Cling to Christ. He is enough. And walk in love. Walk in love. 
There's no harder one word. No harder one word than love. It ain't easy. But Paul says, how do you know that faith is alive in the heart? It's when it works itself out into love. Love is what is required. We must love, and it is so difficult. 1 John chapter 4, 7-8, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It could not be clearer. The church must, not optional, be characterized by love. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, if you've got the faith that can move mountains but have not love, you've got nothing. You've got nothing. You can quote me doctrine all day long, but if you have not love, your faith is not working itself out. It's hit a dead end. Love. Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by it. Because love is the hardest thing you will ever do. Because love is patient. And love is kind. Even when the person isn't patient or kind towards you. It doesn't envy. It's not jealous of his neighbor. It doesn't boast. About what they have or what they can do. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It doesn't quit. Love believes all things. It believes the best. Love never ends because love hopes all things. Love has a hope that says if God is on the scene, hope is on the scene. Love never fails. How do you stand in the freedom in which you've been set free? You believe there the Spirit of God lives within you and you have everything you need to love. To love your spouse, to love your children, to love your co-worker, to love your neighbor, to love those in your community group, to love those in this room, to love those at the gym, to love those in your family, to love that extended family. It's hard. Dear church, This season has been one of great trial at TCC. My dear brother Travis Williams, not even back from his sabbatical, came to a family meeting. And that night, a kid that had been living with them for many years and been gone around to different homes, but a kid from the neighborhood 
ends up getting hit on a bike by a car and is put in the hospital. First day he's back from sabbatical. And then in the past month at Treasuring Christ Church, we have had family sick, hospitalized. We have had sweet Kathy Taylor lose her husband. Dear sweet man, Henry Taylor, who died unexpectedly. We've had our sweet friends, J.D. and Rachel Loftus, lose their baby, their little daughter, Skye, at 23 weeks, all in a month's time. That's even not everything. So much that comes at us. I know many of your stories. Marriages are difficult. Relationships are difficult. And it's a season of trial. The devil would love nothing more than this church to doubt the goodness of God and to turn the faucet off on love. Paul says, stand firm. Christ is enough. He is enough. Every single morning you wake up and get out of that bed, He is enough. Don't let anything tell you that it's okay to beat one click off a true north. He's enough. Don't let anything tell you that you've got the strength you need to do it on your own. Lean on Christ. He's enough. Don't let anything poison you from the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ alone for justification. He is enough. Don't let anything come in and poison and create division. He is enough. And don't let anything turn off the faucet of love in your heart. Because he lives inside of you. And he loves you with a ferocious love. And he's enough. And friends, I've seen it. I've seen people give meals, make phone calls, give hundreds of dollars to people who are hurting. I've seen people go and sit and just be with, representing the presence of Jesus. I've seen compassion and care and concern. I know the faucet of love is not off in this church. And I have seen people, through massive tears, say, Jesus is enough. He is still good, and I've seen it from those who are suffering. But I look at you as my sweet church family, and I say, don't let anything blow you down. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm in Christ. It's freedom, and Christ has set us free to love. Let's pray.